Abiding Hope Church's podcast of our weekly sermons. For more information about our church, please visit abidinghope.org. This reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field, but for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. Here ends the lesson. May the seed of God's word take root and bear fruit in our lives. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote the commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The Gospel of the Lord. The vision that God has for the world, for our universe, the vision that God has is oneness, is to be made whole, complete. That is God's vision. And the primary vehicle, the way in which God is pushing this idea into our universe is relationships. God's primary way of helping us understand how to become whole is when we are in relationship. If we think about that first text in Genesis, we, we sort of forget that there's Genesis 1. And in Genesis, in Genesis 1, it's this long story of creation where, where God speaks a word and there's light and it is 
good. And then, and then there's water that's separated from earth, and it's good. And then it says there's uh, plants that come about, and it's good. And then sun and moon, and it's good. And animals. And then it says humanity is made, male and female, in the image of God. And this is so good. It says in Hebrew, tov, tov, very good. And then we come to chapter 2, and we get to the first thing that God says is not good. And what does God say? It is not good for humanity to be alone. The very first thing that God recognizes as a, as a problem is isolation, loneliness, when we're not in relationship. It's the very first thing that God says is not good. The primary way is to love the other. I mean, it's put as simply as this. They ask Jesus, what are we supposed to do? They, they say, what's the great commandment? What are we supposed to do? Love God, be in relationship with God. Love your neighbor, be in relationship with your neighbor. This is what it looks like. This is what wholeness looks like, is to be in that relationship. And then the primary vehicle of those relationships that is constantly brought up in Scripture and talked about is the vehicle of family to be family together. Now, let me be clear. When I say family, I'm not talking about lineberries. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait. I'm talking about to get to the point, to understand the oneness and wholeness of who we are is to see that each and every one of us is brother, sister, and sibling to one another. That we are family. And that every human in the whole universe is a created child of God, made in the image of God, a sister, a brother, a sibling in Christ. That we are family. And when we begin to recognize that we are all one, then we are working towards the wholeness and fullness that God wants for all of creation. That God wants us to be whole and one with one another. There's a great song um, written by the brilliance where it just it says over and over, when I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother, I see my sister. To get to that place of seeing all of humanity as family, this is the big step. So when we think of ourselves as family, I think even in my own self, how I embody so many different kinds of relationships. I'm a son. I'm a dad. I'm a nephew, I'm a brother. I have in me so many kinds of relationships that I have that we begin to see that the family and how we experience all of these relationships as family are identified in many different kinds of ways. Um, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about divorce, so take a big deep breath. But the one part that I like in that text is when it talks about when the two come together and become one flesh, they become one. That's that picture of wholeness that we want for all of humanity, not just in married relationships or partnerships. It's about being one with one another. But the second part of our text today is the one that I wanted to focus on, is this idea of children and how the children function in this family of God, and how children are not only cool, <laughs> but critical to how we see and how we envision what the world is supposed to look like, that children give us an image of what it means to be in the household of God. I mean, Jesus says, unless you enter the kingdom like this, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the whole picture. So what is it that children do for us that help us see more clearly about what it looks like to be in the reign and the vision of the wholeness of God? What do children do for us? 
One, I think, is wonder. I think children still get wonder, and we have grown out of it. We've become old and hard. When I walk with my daughter Eden, one of the things I loved during the time of COVID is watching people out for walks all the time. I have a greenway right behind my house, and it was really beautiful to see people out for walks. So we would go for walks, and especially with my little one when she was five or six years old, we'd we'd go out for a walk. And, you know, I'd be doing my thing. Isn't it good? We're out for a walk, fresh air, getting exercise, doing all the things. And And my daughter would go, Dad, look. And I'd be like, what is it? She'd say, a leaf. (laughs) And I'd be like, right. (laughs) And then she'd pick it up and she'd say, look at it. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it wonderful? And here's the thing, she's right. It is this incredible, beautiful thing that I've just grown old and hard and I don't notice those things anymore. But she still lives inside that wonder. Here, there's a great um, um, uh, 20th century uh, Roman Catholic um, poet and uh, theologian named G.K. Chesterton who wrote this seminal work called Orthodoxy. And um, Orthodoxy, we think, is thinking, but actually Orthodoxy means right praise, not right thinking, like a doxology is a word of praise. So So he talks about in right praise. And one of the things he talks about is like, he says this, he says, you know when, uh, you're, when a child runs up to you and you throw it up in the air and you put it back down again, what does the child immediately say? Do it again. Right? And so what do you do? You throw the child up in the air and put it down. What does the child say? And so you throw it in the air and you... Does the child ever get tired of it? It says that God has learned how to exult in monotony. <laughs> That God lives in a place of wanting to do it again all the time. And that maybe every little budding flower, God's like, ooh, do it again. <laughs> every time the sun rises, God's like, oh, do it again. <laughs> that God, and, and G.K. Chesterton puts it this way, maybe our sin is that we have grown old. And that God has stayed young and has learned to still live out of wonder and beauty in the creation. One of the things that children give to us is a reminder of how to live in that do-it-again space, in that space of wonder, and seeing all the beauty of creation and life and people. The second way that I really think about as a way that, ways that our children are here to teach us. I love when I, I come and I, we have a preschool here at Abiding Hope. It is ginormous. We have like 250 students. And so I do preschool chapel and we sing and we dance and we sing silly songs. But I love to watch how they play and interact with one another. These students are loving and playing and caring for one another. And they're not thinking about their skin tone, their gender identity, their sexual identity, their socioeconomic status their educational status, all they're seeing is like, oh, look, another human, let's play. I believe that we have taught our children to see those divisions, that we've instructed them to see people as separate. And when children are really in that beautiful little space, they only see other kids worthy of love and attention. I don't have to convince a child that when this person is treated differently than this one, it's not fair. They get that in their souls. That's something that our children can teach us again. Ask your kids if it's fair that this person's treated differently than this one. 
Maybe we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven unless we see what that looks like again. Are you with me? And the third way, I think, is to remind us that our children are vulnerable. Our children need us, especially when they're little. (laughs) This one cannot survive on its own. And we're called to love and care for the kids that are in our lives. We're called to support them, to lead them. And not only that, but in the same way that that God has modeled for us through Jesus, through Jesus' death and resurrection, a way of living into the world, we don't just get to pawn that off on God. We are called to be a reflection of that. It is our role to be a leader and a guide for these children, to teach them the way of being Jesus. And that's sort of awesome. So kids, children, remind us that they're looking to us and that we have to become that reflection of what we want in the world. That's scary, amen? That's scary. I'm gonna take off my holy parent hat for a moment and I'm gonna put on my lead pastor for family life, lead servant for family life at Abiding Hope. I think we have a lot of ways in which we unwittingly are holding our kids back from approaching Jesus. I think the way our culture has worked, the way our society has worked, we have been told ways that there are good things, but what we don't often see is that there are some of these things that are actually removing us from what it looks like to be in that holy family. Most of the things that we get involved with are involved about telling us about how many points we score is what's important, about how we look is important, what our performance is like is important, how many likes we have is important, what our academic grade is is important. That most of the ways in which our culture is active is about the responsibility of those things, and we bow then to the idol of success. We bow to the idol of success. Now, I don't want to turn this into an either-or thing. My kids play sports. I push my kids to make good grades. I mean, those things are real things, and I'm not saying that we should stop doing that. But what I'm saying is we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful about what we're emphasizing in our families that are actually separating from the true story of Jesus, Jesus, who tells us that each and every one of us has worth and value and that none of us are measured by points, grades, likes, wins, performance. It's in this space. It is in this church. It is the role that Abiding Hope feels that it wants for our families and our, and our kids. We want, we want the one place that they're going to hear, that nowhere else hears, that they are loved and valued exactly as they are right now. We want Abiding Hope Church to be the place that is going to be different than what they hear all the rest of their day. That's what we want at Abiding Hope Church. We need to become that family. If we want our kids to experience life as God's family, then we need to all step into and own that we have to put them in the way of encountering a message that is countercultural to everywhere else that they're hearing. That in this space, we say to them, you are a child of God, loved exactly as you are, whether you are an F student or an A student, you are beautiful and worthy of God's love and attention. And not only that, but you are gifted to do good work regardless of what your life looks like. Amen? 
This space is the one space they're going to have for that. And I know, I, I battle with my own kids. We have, we, have, we have things competing in our lives all the time. But if this space always becomes second, then what are we telling our kids about what we really value? If this space always becomes the other thing we do, what are we telling? What are we saying? I know that for my own kids, they need you. They need my family. They need my brothers and my sisters and my friends and my siblings. They need you. When I got married, do you know who was at my wedding? Do you know who visited and came? It wasn't my coaches, and it wasn't my teachers. It was Joe and Kathy Carson. It was Skip and Carol Tempty. It was the Camrats. These were the parents of the other kids at my church. They were the ones at my kids' wedding. At my wedding, excuse me. And I want to invite you to my kids' wedding. I want you to be the women and men who are in my kids' life, telling them that they are people of character and quality regardless of how well or how well they perform. I want you to be those people. And I want us to learn how to bless our children in the same way that Jesus blessed those children. That is our role, is that we are the ones to be Jesus for them, blessing them. That is the thing we have to do. For my own kids, I bless my kids every day, every time they go to school. For my littlest ones, we say, hug, kiss, bless. We hug, we kiss, we draw the cross on our forehead, and we say, God loves you and I do too. Jesus loves you and I do too. But as my kids grew older, Sometimes my son, Abel, I don't draw the cross on his forehead anyway, but I'll look at him from across the room. And I do this. And I say to my kids every day, courage, honor, integrity. Because these are the things I want my kids to grow in. I don't need them to grow to be better sports stars or better athletes. Oh, I, that's nice. Don't get me wrong. I, I want them to make good grades. But in the end, I want kids of character and quality. Are you with me? Does that make sense? And the place they're going to get that is sometimes in their sports teams, and often from teachers. I'm not removing those things. But the primary place that I'm looking for them to grow that is here with this family of God. I'll just share a real quick story about my son, Abel, who um, was in a soccer game recently, and they were getting beaten bad. I think the final score was 8-0. It was not a good one. And he was kind of frustrated and upset. And he got a little bit fouled, and he just went red. You know what I mean? When you just see red at that point. And he went up and pushed the kid that fouled him. He got sent off. He went to the sidelines. And all of the parents there were kind of looking at me, because of course I went, hey! You know? And we were all sitting there just watching. And then as we watched, about 10, 15 minutes later, we watched my son get up and walk over to the other bench and find the kid he pushed and apologize to him. And then I saw him at the end of the game walk over to the refs and apologize to the refs. I will trade every goal my son ever makes in his career for that moment. Are you with me? That is the kind of kid I want to make. He's not a goal scorer, but one who knows the goal is a life of purpose, character, and quality. We want to create kids about worship, service, 
relationships and generosity. That is what we do here. And I want to invite you to come join us. You see all these kids around you? Do you see these students in this place? They're looking at you to say, come teach me to be something different and better in the world. Let the little children come. Because unless you become like one of these, you're going to miss it. Amen? If you'll pray with me. Lord God, you have called your servants to ventures of which we cannot see the ending on paths as yet untrodden through perils unknown. Give us faith to go out in good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us. In the name of love, whose name is Jesus. Amen.